Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. As you all well know, in addition to new books, we also have conversations with fascinating folks about developments um, in, in, in the broad field of um, South Asian studies. Um, today, it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, uh, Dr. Rajiv Ranjan, who is Assistant Professor at Michigan State University. And his area is actually um, a language acquisition, particularly Hindi and Urdu. So welcome to the podcast, Rajiv. Thank you so much, Dr. Balkaran. Um, it's- uh, Ra- Raj is fine. Yeah. Oh, Raj is fine. Okay. So thank Perfectly you. Fine. Thanks so much, Raj. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, yes. So- Tell me a little bit about your journey, um, uh, your, you know, your, your, your dissertation and how you got interested in languages and language training. What was that like for you? Um, the, my early education has happened in Bihar, which got divided. So now my village falls in a state called Jharkhand. And uh, in India, Jharkhand is still not very developed kind of state. Um, we moved to Patna, which is the capital city of Bihar, started learning English around seventh, eighth grade. And then, you know, in my state, people said maths and English are the two things that can make you successful. And of course, I come from a very humble background. So, we, you know, uh, education is a, a, a privilege in, in many ways. And I thought, why not? Uh, so I, I did not know that if I do my undergraduate degree in English literature, I would have to read William Shakespeare and Chaucer for someone who is starting A, B, C, D, the basic alphabets that late. But I somehow survived. But I also realized that I cannot be a literary person, in at least when it comes to English language. But I was still interested in language itself, not the literature part. And in Bihar at that time, there is no university still there is hardly any university which offers linguistics degree. Um, so with the help of my friend, and I'm the, I'm the first one in my family, the eldest one, and my, my parents are not very academically educated. Um, so my, my friend helped me to move to University of Delhi, where I did my master's in formal linguistics. And then I learned that in Hyderabad, there is an institution called CIEFL, Central Institute of English and Foreign Languages, but now it is known as IFLU, English and Foreign Languages University. And uh, there I did my MPhil in, and then 2010, I got a Fulbright and that's how I came to University of Iowa as a Fulbright scholar. And I met my uh, kind of a dream linguist named late Alice Davison. Now she passed away in 2016, right after I finished my PhD. But coming here, I also realized that the formal linguistics and SLA or applied linguistics for, you know, um, as many people would call it, I had a basic formal, I would not say I, I, I mean, I'm formal linguist by any <laughs> scale, but 
I also realized that having that knowledge of the language is one thing, which is a great thing, right? Being a native speaker of your language is another great thing, but teaching your native speaker with the formal training or formal knowledge is not the same thing. So you need, I needed to have a training and my PhD journey at the University of Iowa, along with my teaching assistantship that have a classroom. So whatever you are learning as a, as a student in a, in a class, as a theory or formally, and uh, in class, you can do the practical of it, right? So um, that's that's how I, I want to believe that that's how I groom myself, learned from other teachers, fellow graduate students, observing classes of the senior colleagues or professors. And that's how I came to teach Hindi. And um, 2013, I went to India to study abroad in my own country, <laughs> thanks to... Uh, American Institute of Indian Studies who supported me as, as I was a grad student in America. And I devoted my time to learn the Urdu script, which is Nastali, different from Hindi script. And uh, because the language more or less, Hindi Urdu is the same if you kind of avoid the higher level of lexical item, which in Hindi gets the reference to the Hindu scriptures and you know some of the Urdu classical or higher level lexical item get the words from Arabic and Persian. Am bolchal, like the everyday language of Hindi Urdu, or you can call it Hindustani, it's the same, but I needed to learn the script. So I did, and then after that I kept practicing, and then I joined MSU uh, as assistant professor in 2015, which was my last year of PhD. I finished my PhD in 2016, and then I went to India another summer, uh, for a 15 months to fulfill my two years of homestay requirement, where I brushed up my Urdu again, learned and taught actually at C uh, AIS again. And so I taught to study abroad too. And then when I came back, I started Urdu as a separate language program. So right now I teach Hindi and Urdu and coordinate language program, Indian and South Asian languages and culture program at MSC. Yeah, as, as, as some of our listeners, uh may well know i mean um, certainly there are um um colleagues and and grad students among our listenership but uh for for the the more general audience uh the american institute for indian studies has a fantastic um uh, language acquisition program like summer schools um um, um the various languages are headquartered in different spaces for example um sanskrit is 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 based in the city of Pune. Mm -hmm. I had the good fortune of um, doing a semester of advanced Sanskrit uh, in 2012. It was yes, I remember because the world was coming to an end. 2012, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for whatever strange reason, no one else um, had applied. I mean, there would be a handful for who would take out a semester to study Sanskrit, but no one else had applied for that semester. So I got private tutelage for an entire semester. Mm -hmm. uh, the AWS. So it's 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 really important and, and rich program that you've had the chance to to study with and, and contribute to. So clearly you have a love of language, um, but perhaps equally evident is you have um, a, a, a penchant, a knack, an inclination towards teaching. And it's not just, as you mentioned at the outset, the knowledge of a subject area, mm -hmm. but teaching is its own uh, art, the, the knowledge, the skill, the, the, the process of teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and, and 
to that to that end, um, you have authored and co-authored some educational, some open educational mm-hmm. resources. We'll put the links in the podcast notes, but tell us a bit about the resources that you've helped to create. So, um, you know, of course, as a, if I see around, I'm one of the very few people, maybe the only one or maybe a couple of more would be there that I'm not familiar with, at least in North America, uh, I'm the person who has a PhD degree in second language acquisition and teaches Hindi or Urdu languages, right? So it's an academic responsibility because I, I kind of interact with so many wonderful teachers, but they are native speakers. And as pre- previously I mentioned that being a native speaker is one thing, having a grammatical knowledge in another thing, but making it all the nice khichdi or nice kind of recipe for teaching and how the, the transfer of the knowledge and how you not just teach or learn the language, but how would you create something that will help them acquire? So acquisition and learning are two different things. So you can learn a language, right? You can do the grammar and all, but have you acquired it? And that's that's the difference. That's where I felt after my PhD that it, I need to contribute in this area. So I started with the Mellon grant that I got with the collaboration with the University of Minnesota. And we wrote kind of an intermediate level Hindi book, which is called Hindi hyphen Urdu. At, and it's also an open education resources. But then at MSU, I also needed a book for my basic level. So we in America, we follow the ACTFL guidelines. So the novice, intermediate, advanced, and um, superior and distinguished level. And uh, I, I use so many wonderful people have written so many good books, you know, paper-based books. There are quite a lot in, in at least in Hindi, if not in Hindi, Urdu both. The, but the, the pedagogical approach that I needed to have, and that changes a lot uh, because if you're teaching in West Coast or East Coast in America, you might want to have a different pedagogical approach. I teach in Midwest. <laughs> so, so, the, so the pedagogy does not depend on, on your philosophy of teaching, but it also what's the need of the student and I, what are their identity. So sometimes they're heritage, sometimes they're not heritage or non-heritage, right? Even within heritage, South Asia and India is such a complex country that you can call that somebody is Indian, but maybe speak Tamil, which is not even Indo-Aryan language, so Dravidian language. So they are cultural heritage, but they're not linguistic heritage, right? So how do you differentiate that? Teachers themselves are, are not pedagogically trained. So my, my, my reasoning to create this was not just follow what's, what's the word outside these days, like what's the selling words, like communicative approach, or, but I wanted to create a material which is kind of a, the term I want to use is post-pedagogy. The pedagogy, which includes, which is very inclusive, it, you as a teacher can decide who are your audience, who are your students, what's their motivation, what's their need, and then use the open education resource material, which is available for you free, and make it your own to, to kind of address the 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 question that you individually as a teacher being asked in your classroom. So, so that was that was the, the goal that I had in mind. And, and with the grace of God, we are we are doing great. 3,000 people have hit on Hindi book, 
couple of thousands in Urdu. Every single time I see the analytics, 15 to 100 people are kind of have been using this book. It has been a it has been a great pleasure and and very good academic satisfaction. Well, without question, you'll see a bit of an uptick uh, once this podcast goes live, because with, with there will be there will be um, uh, Hindi speakers, uh, hopeful mm-hmm. Hindi speakers, uh, Hindi aficionados, uh, mm-hmm. those who might be interested in pedagogical culture, mm-hmm. and uh, and what's great is that these resources are open access. Uh, the click yeah. of a click of a finger, click of a thumb, they're 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 in your hand, and you can peruse them. So, so that's great. Um, are you, could you say a little bit about, you know, I like this idea that it, there are, there are elements of pedagogy that you can share. And then there are certain variables that yeah. are dependent upon that context. And I didn't quite make this connection while I was looking uh, over your, um, your materials just for the podcast. Uh, but it, it just dawned on me as you were speaking that, um, a great many of people who come to my, uh, I have an online school. It's sort of hybrid emic, edic paradigms. I, I teach in a variety of contexts and, mm-hmm. and many yoga teachers come. Yoga teachers mm-hmm. interested in, in, uh, in yeah, the history, philosophy, mythology uh, mm-hmm. of ancient India. And they'll often have a question. They'll have a question about, well, you know, can we teach this or how do you teach this and, and this and what about this? And they're interested in passing on some of what they know. And it's always, the answer is always, well, it depends. Who are your students? What are their interests? Is, is yoga fitness for them? Are they remotely interested in history and culture and spirituality? Mm-hmm. Um, um, what is their, what is their uh, educational or cultural background? And so it's, it, it's going to depend. I mean, even to the question of, okay, well, here are some, um, some, 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 uh, some myths, some, some narratives associated with asanas. Like, for example, they often call in Western parlance, what do they call it? Warrior pose, the three mm-hmm. warrior poses. Mm-hmm. But it's actually Virabhadrasana. Who is Virabhadrasana? Mm-hmm. This, yeah. this manifestation of Shiva. How mm-hmm. did he manifest? What does this have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. And so even just sharing that, I mean, it's going to depend on that audience. Are they remotely interested in narrative? So mm-hmm. uh, for some reason, it didn't quite, it didn't, I didn't make the connection until just now, but I really resonate with this idea of having pedagogical um, templates, if you will, yeah. that people can plug in the variables of their audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is important as a teacher. I'm so, so, the little kind of uh, that statement, another qualification of that statement would be: as a teacher, you should know all the all the pedagogical approaches, right? But then that what makes you amazing as a teacher that you know your MOs and whatever is required, you can use it. You can't just become like oh Rajiv or some book author or somebody has suggested this because he has a PhD or she has a PhD or they have a PhD in in SLA and hence I'm gonna use it, right? The when I teach graduate courses in in foreign language teaching methodologies. And we teach them all the like grammar translation method, audiolingual method, you know, the, the direct method and task-based thing. And at the end I say, but there's also post-pedagogy. Just you now you have all this information, but see what fits your context, right? Uh, and and now you have all these all these ideas, see what material you want to use in what way. Like to give you a particular example, if I may is let's say yes please do that was my next question actually but go on so let's say that let's take an example of a hindi right and uh, 
yes, of course, it has to be in tracks and then you practice it. But there are grammatical. The, this question is asked a lot, like, how do you teach grammar? You know, or is grammar important in language acquisition? And when the goal was to read international text, the grammar was important and hence grammar translation method was important. But then the world changes and then people to people connection was really important and hence they moved to the direct method. Then some research happened in psychology and cognitive psychology and they say, no, you just put them in environment, the direct method and the statistical learning can happen just being exposed to the language and hence you learn. it. And, and now we are in the stage like creating a task which is like a real life situation and you will learn it. But will any skill we are talking about the American Council of Foreign, Foreign Language Teaching would have a different level, advanced level or superior level, you might qualify with that approach with the novice to the intermediate, but they may not give your, your student or you as, as myself as a student of English, if I can be, if there's a pattern of error in my English grammar, they might not give me advanced or distinguished level, right? So, so some of the grammar becomes important. And the problem with the grammar is that some grammar has a, has a semantic value. So if you, let's say, if you say Billy, that means cat, but billion has, means two cats or, or multiple cats, right? So it has, a, the pluralization has a meaning attached to it. So when you are teaching this billi, billion, your learners are seeing the value of those difference in, in word and what is making something plural. But let me say that if I say, uh, Raj, ek uh, film dekha, and you got the same, you got the meaning, Raj watched a film, but this sentence is 100% ungrammatical in Hindi. The sentence would be Raj ne film dekhi or ek film dekhi. Raj is masculine, but the verb is dekhi, which is feminine, because it's agreeing with the object. A native English speaker who has never seen in their entire life that verb could agree with the object, or Sita ne Gita ko, no, Sita ne Gita ko mara. So Sita is feminine, which is your subject. Gita is feminine, which is your object, but why verb is masculine, right? So these are the things which I call it uninterpretable features of the grammar, that the features of the language, which is not associated with the meaning, it would be really hard for learner in a really nice communicative context to even tap on those ideas because they're thinking about meaning making, right? They're not thinking about the grammaticality of it. And this is great. Yes, you can go to target community and talk to them and people would not laugh at you even if you're making ungrammatical sentences, if you're communicable, you are intelligible, you, you could be understood, but then how to improve further from that level, right? And that's where we can talk about the inductive and deductive teaching, where something is some grammar, which has a meaning, you can, you don't have to teach them explicitly, right? You don't, today, I'm going to teach you or get it. Right? You can't do that. You can, you can just use the, the, the very hands-on method, the task-based method. But when it comes to those highlighting those, those nuances, highlighting those semantic less or value-less feature, but they're still very significant. For example, kamra is a room. And here this word very, you know, for audience even, kamra, meaning a room, one room. Kamre, 
are changes in A for plural room. But when somebody said in a room, then the camera becomes camera may, and their camera is still singular. The question is, how do you know that why it should be camera? And then how do I know that even if it is camera, it is still singular? And if somebody says camera may, you still understand that person. So what's the incentive of a learner to even learn those rules to, to kind of perfect the kind of reach a higher level of linguistic proficiency at least, if not, if not cultural or communicative proficiency or competence, right? So, so that's where I think the, the mixed method has to be utilized and teachers had to have training and materials have to have those kind of both features that you as a teacher can decide that for this particular situation, I'm gonna use a different differentiated instruction or pedagogical approaches. These uh, learning basic Hindi and, and, and Urdu um, resources that you've created, are they suited for um, grad students learning for studies for uh, uh, prof teaching undergraduate courses? Are they suited for autodidacts? You, you know, to, for whom are they suited or in what context do you think they might be best or well-suited? So um, I think the, and that's a, that was another kind of a point that, you know, when you start writing a book, you have to think like, who are my audiences? What level is this? And if you see that the the both book Hindi and Urdu starts with the script, which if you're a new person, whether you are a grad student or a toddler, you learn the same alphabet, right? A, B, C, D, Ka, Kha, Ga, Ga, Alif, Bete. But then the second one is based on introduction. Of course, a, a kind of a teenager upward can do the introduction. Maybe a child five, six, seven years old or school going second grader, third grader may not need that kind of elaborate in, introduction. Um, but at least they need to introduce themselves. Then we talk about family, my town, then, then the kind of uh, giving and like, request, like the imperative sort of situation where you give command, ask for or make a request. Then we talk about the talking about your hobbies and routine. So I think as long as a learner is in some sort of school, not at home, so once he, somebody hits like the second grade, third grade and has some sort of a routine or academic life, whether it is the second grade academic life or the fifth year PhD or even post PhD, right? Um, I think it should fit. And because the book is written with a thematic uh, kind of ideas. And uh, I, I think whoever feel that that theme works for that person should be, should be using that book. So that's how I feel about the book a bit about what is what is it like for you teaching um helping people uh, acquire these languages you know what is the draw for you what is the fulfillment for you why is it so enjoyable to you uh, that's another great question Rajbhai. it's it's wonderful that we are talking and, and it's giving me a chance to reflect on what like why does this matter right um my as I said, my parents were not very academically educated, but in my society, even though I come from a very humble background, one person in my village was really respected was the, my school teacher. Everybody respected him. All my, my age people, like, oh, Master Saab is coming, let's run away, or like, you should not be doing anything, sir is coming, or teacher is, Guruji is coming, right? 
that kind of a, since then, I never wanted to be like, people do ask me this question, like um, uh, that Rajiv, like, do you, like people do ask me this question sometimes like, hmm, you are Indian, lives in America, why you are not in a STEM field? Right, why you are not a doctor or engineer or computer scientist <laughs> or doing you, something. You sound like a number of my uncles many years ago who yeah. thought this was, they, they, they perceived me as extraordinarily bright, who knows why, and they yeah. wondered, what was I going to do with sunscreen? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> Anyhow, I was, please continue. I was, I was asked in a, in a party, there was a good Indian party, uncle and auntie were there. I call them uncle and auntie because, you know, there's like lots of Indian and I was a grad student and they thought I'm studying some sort of a STEM area. And I said, no, I study linguistics. And they said, what? What is linguistics? So I said, science of languages. No, what so are you going to do with that? Yeah, why are you wasting your life? So I hope I'm not wasting my life and whoever there who loves their language or wants to learn a language and, and I want to assure as a teacher myself that you are not wasting your life. But then what I feel that I never thought to be a, anything else other than a teacher. And so I wanted to be a college professor since childhood. Um, and when I come here and I see my student, and now this is my 13th year in America teaching at university as a grad student or as assistant professor. And I see my student graduating and using Hindi to promote their career. Some of my students are in think tank, learn Hindi and they would sit in the DC and works in a think tank. And they know, I know for sure that their linguistics and cultural knowledge that they have about the country that they're writing paper is, I have, I played a, Itty bitty part of that. I'm, I'm not going to say like, I know that they have studied and my students are better than me in terms of the world knowledge, but at least that's a satisfaction. When you see that my students are doing the NGO work or, or becoming a, a, a professor of music and had a chance to go to India and, and, and kind of train in Banaras because of me and I helped that person. I think as a teacher and like, imagine how, how who I put the open education resource book. I don't get any dollar. It's free 99 on internet. I don't get even the money to write the book that I wrote. So, so the point is the motivation comes that am I making kind of a, a difference in someone's life in, in, in whatever smaller ways. And, and, and I always ask, the student, like when you think about your favorite teacher, you forget what that teacher has taught. You only remember how that person has treated you, right? So if I have treated, because college students are vulnerable. So if I can be one Indian kind of person who they can connect with or somebody who can just listen to them and the language as a language teacher, you have to be the expert of nothing, but you have to know everything. Because in language, they can talk about the family or politics or sometimes their social problems, sometimes their personal life. You know, you, you talk to your students. So if you are a maths professor, you might not have one-on-one -on -one connection. You don't feel the sense of community in the classroom. But for in a language teaching specifically, give us give yourself a week or two 
you know everyone's name because you're chatting with together. So that sense of community that I feel, that's very rewarding too. That's great. You know, it's it's great to be driven by impact. And some of the impact we can be more cognizant of with respect to students in an undergrad class or students who come to speak with us one-on-one. And then some impact where, you know, I speak into this, this, this lovely mic in the, a corner of my home office in the holy city of Toronto, Canada, and gods only know who listens. Uh, once yeah. in a while, I, I may get, I may get an email or a, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, by virtue of uh, the podcast having a life of its own at this point, this particular uh, channel and uh, somehow uh, close to 300 episodes, I believe. Wow. Um, Certainly people are listening. Who knows how they're impacted? There's some sort of impact without question. Uh, And that impact is born of the the very many brilliant people who have shared their their Mm -hmm. findings Mm -hmm. on the channel. And and impact is wonderful. And, you know, I, for whatever reason, I have uh, opted at present to... um, to remain, for lack of a better term, a self-employed scholar or independent scholar. And I, you know, mm-hmm. independent, wonderful. well, independence a bit. Uh, honestly, I do, with all the wheelings and dealings I do with uh, my subfield and other academics, mm-hmm. it certainly doesn't feel independent. Uh, all of my teaching is continuing studies teaching, but I love, uh, I tease that I love having a hand in corrupting the youth. And so uh, <laughs> I take sessional I take sessional contracts wherever yeah, I can. And I quote you sometime. I love it. Yeah, yeah, where, where, wherever I can, because it's you know once or twice a year. I'll provide it's online and or in Toronto. Though mm-hmm. I'll happily take a sessional, um, only because that's the one piece. Just having mm-hmm. a hand in person formation and education on that level, because they're so very thirsty at that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the subject area and. Uh, shockingly about uh, th- th- many of them want to know about life and they have these questions and um, it's, it's a really is fascinating. So I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you have, you also find that rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say that um, uh, developing language resources is something that you will continue to do? Would you say that you've essentially established what you would wish to establish in these resources or, or what's that like for you in terms of your, personal uh, research? Um, so c- 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 I have a big research ideas, <laughs> but I, I break them like, you know, uh, I learned that you eat a whale one bite at a time. So I'm biting one bite at a time. So my, my goal, first of all, to create open education resources, at least for the beginner, intermediate and advanced level of Hindi and Urdu, and assist many South Asian languages like Tamil or Gujarati or Bengali. I just co-authored Persian book, um, another open education resources with my colleague, uh, Persian colleague. Um, so that's kind of a, on terms of a material development because the world is changing so fast. And I'm glad that we are doing an open education resource book that we don't have to go to the publishers and say, can I edit my book and can you publish again? It's password pro- pro- you know, protected. I can go get in my book anytime I want, any changes I wanna make, any ways I can improve my book, kind of matching what's, what's going on maybe after five years. So it's not only just the book, but it's also a lifetime journey to keep improvising 
and matching the digital native out there who we are responsible to educate and, and kind of meet their needs. So like in a paper-based book, I, you know, that's fascinating that some of my, my, my students would say, oh, I, uh, I studied your vocabulary in the bus because they can access the book on a mobile phone and they can drag and drop things and kind of take a multiple choice quizzes. And they don't have to sit down in a study table with the, the five pounds of textbook and, and carry them on their you know, backpack everywhere. So that's definitely my goal. But the, the other research goal is the Hindi, I mean, there is ESL in India, and you know, the Indian are the largest English speaker. If I, if I may say, like we have English is the boss tongue, you know. We I always say this, like every Indian are polyglot because in India we have a mother tongue and a father tongue and a boss tongue. So my mother tongue is Magahi because I speak, come from that reason. But my father tongue is Hindi because when I go out with my father or uncle to someone's sales house, we have to speak in Kadi Boli or Hindi. We cannot say use Bhojpuri or Maghi or Mathali. And, and then you don't know English, you don't have a job. So you have to have a boss tongue too. So, so <laughs> but when I came to America and I'm privileged and I, I don't know what I did good thing in my previous life that, I got an opportunity to come here to contribute in, 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 a, in a little bit of a Western society and at a global platform to, to kind of try my hands in academia. I really wanna do research on second language acquisition focused on Hindi Urdu because there are many nuances as I gave you the example of oblique form Y Kamra and Kamre and, and that I can relate it to my PhD dissertation topic which is on the acquisition of ergative case in Hindi Urdu, um, commonly known as the acquisition of ne in Hindi Urdu. So when I say Rajiv ne, that ne has no meaning, right? Billi means cat, kitab is book, but what does ne mean? Ne has no meaning. So how do you acquire it? But without that, it plays a very significant role because if you have, if I say Rajiv ne and kitab parhi, so because of that name, Parna, uh, the, the, the verb is agreeing with the feminine. So those kind of a thing, I wanna do research. I also wanna see a long-term longitudinal research in acquisition of Hindi to decide like what is coming easier to the learner and what is coming little late when the acquisition is happening. So those kind of the research as, as somebody who has a training in SLA, Hopefully that life is long enough to, to kind of still eating one bit at a time, I can finish this well. Well, clearly you have an interest and a skill and, and whether assuming samsara, whether it's by virtue of Purva Janma or, uh, what do you say, um, your Prarabdha, your, <laughs> your Punya Karma, or whether it's Kriyamana, whether, whether it's Kriyamana, whether it's something that you're creating in this life. Yeah. Either way, yeah. it seems to me one of one of the dictums whereby I live my life is the harder the harder you work, the luckier you get. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I believe in Karma Yoga, so I can mm. only do the Karma, right? And I have devoted my dissertation to my teachers. So, of course, my teachers and my good Karma I mean, that's only you can control, right? <laughs> Karma name. Uh, there you go. There's a, I smell the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, Karma Nevadi Karaste Ma Fale Sukadarsha. 
it was endowed. I mean, I'm not practicing person, but you know, you can't avoid that when you grew up in India and everywhere you go, every street, you can hear Rajan and Ghanti and Bhagavad Gita and, and Satnarayan Arti. So you, you, mm-hmm. we are very privileged to be grew up in India that we are so multicultural and diverse. We have understanding of all this. I, I just feel mm-hmm. very privileged. Now, beyond your 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 work at uh, Michigan State University, mm-hmm. um, you also teach at a platform that we have featured on this podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, a because you know I enjoy spreading the word about valuable opportunities, and B because it's not dissimilar from my own career teaching in the online space, although it's a, it's a different um, it's a different um, angle perhaps. But this platform called Yogic Studies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the good fortune of teaching a couple of courses there, and rumor has it mm-hmm. that um, you teach language there as well, and that folks mm-hmm. uh, have the opportunity thereby to study mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. beyond the confines of a degree program. Is yeah. that the case? Yeah, so that's that's the case, and we I got contacted, and um, I I said yes because it seems like the audience there is very different than my. The regular audience, without question, without question. Yeah. So and and I wanted to I wanted to support anybody who is doing any sort of work for a language program because I'm the I just want nothing but my South Asian language to be highlighted, to be learned, acquired, spoken by as many people as we can do, and and it's an, another amazing platform and definitely um, Seth G and all the team, Kate and everybody is just such an amazing help. And it seems seamless to me because uh, thanks to their hard work and their platform and also my years of experience that that seem and the crowd, I, I should also give credit to the, the learners in, on that platform. They are very keen, they are amazing and without their presence, physical presence, right? It would be really hard to, 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 to teach, but I can report that it was a very wonderful experience, very rewarding experience. And I hope that they can continue doing this and I can contribute to their platform. Well, without question, in a, in a certain regard, you know, I, I, the only reason I seek out um, uh, uh, a, a sessional instructor contract annually or so is because I quite enjoy um, you know, having an impact on on folks of a certain age in an undergraduate program, mm-hmm. but the vast majority of my teaching by design is continuing studies education, mm-hmm. and it really is. It is a it's a different world, and for for many teachers, mm-hmm. a little piece of heaven where people are coming to a subject not to yeah. please mommy or daddy, not for a mm-hmm. piece of paper. Yeah, they solely have a desire to learn and a yeah. little bit of cash yeah and there are various ages typically mm-hmm. beyond the undergraduate age but yeah. you know, 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s yeah. 70s and yeah. they just want to learn and between being lifelong learners and responsible consumers yeah they um it can be the most engaged learning environments you ever mm-hmm. have and they are not looking for 4.0 or a plus grades or anything right um right. they they are driven by their own like motivation and their li- like they don't have to prove anything to anyone. Plus, they're also uh, not 
like, oh, 50 minutes here and then 50 minutes other course and 50 minutes other course and their life and this assignment, that assignment. So, so for a teacher, even when you have that concentrated group with the tons of motivation, it, it, it enriches you. I think I, as a teacher, I grew more because I participated there, because of the, the community there who is interested in learning. So I think I, it's not a growth for yogic studies or the audience, but it's as a, as a, as a team member, it seems it, it helped me grow bigger too. I could see beyond that, what is out there, like what are the other need and, and, and pedagogical changes that I did for that because it ha it's online. Um, you know, it has to be kind of a little bit different than what you can do in person. And, and it was really a great experience. And I want everybody to kind of, if you are want to learn something, join it and it would be wonderful. Yeah, there is um there is an upcoming intake date at Yogic Studies for, um, for your course, I believe. Um, as I was speaking to you, I just happened to email um, uh, Kate Burns, who's the admin assistant there, just to triple check. I'll ensure this podcast is out before that registration date. It's in, uh, for those listening uh, in advance, it's May 6th-ish. Mm-hmm. Enrollment opens um, 2023. And for those listening to this in the timeless time of podcast land, uh, the courses are yet available there for um, engagement um, on demand. Yeah. Um, great. Fantastic. So let me ask you, um, um, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey with online education. That's something, uh, do you, uh, were you surprised uh, by elements of teaching online? Were, um, is it very different? Uh, was it new for you? What's that like? So um, as a grad student, again, I had the, the role of technology in second language acquisition sort of gig. I reviewed Rosetta Stone and all. So I had a little bit of an idea. Um, when I went to, in 2015, I taught an online class for Keene University. It's called the Hindi Urdu Structure for Language Teachers. It's a part of a master's program that Keene University in New Jersey had funded by Start, um, Startup. And uh, I developed the course and taught, but it was asynchronous course. So you won't see the student live, right? Then Auction Community College in Chicago, uh, they contacted me and I developed their Hindi and Urdu uh, program for online instructors. Uh, then pandemic, COVID pandemic hit and, and, and that was like everybody, those who were new to the technology or even the technological guru, they, they have to go online. So it didn't come as a surprise. Um, my book came very timely because, I mean, I'm not saying that the, if there's any silver lining of the COVID pandemic that has tortured the humanity is that my book just came out and it was such a great help to teach online because then you have a material right there. And the material that we have is very interactive material. So if you're just using a book and you don't have any help or native speaker or instructor, you can just use the book and get the feedback by, by just doing the exercises there. So with all this extra help with the humble experience of online teaching, in summer I teach uh, for foreign language teaching. Uh, we have a master's program called MAFR, Master in Foreign Language Teaching. 
and I have we have students from all over the world, Spanish teacher, Chinese teacher, English teacher from Japan, and all these people. And these courses are also asynchronous, but we I meet. I, I'm like a little bit of a helicopter parents. I want to know where my students are. So I, I kind of uh, try to kind, kind of keep checking on my students. So I think with the online setting and whether it is a content courses like SLA theory or methodology or grammar structure or a language courses in the Urdu, if you have a right material and right sort of temperament and the right kind of crowd, the, the platform from my point of view doesn't matter given the technological advancement. Now you can use smart pen and use the whiteboard of Zoom to, to kind of teach like in a classroom. That said, the only thing I feel like what was great is Sometimes learners, like we are talking on Zoom and people would hide themselves. They would not open their videos. So then as a teacher, you feel like you're looking at the black hole and like, who are you interacting? Like when you see the facial expression, as a teacher, you are not just teaching, you're also reading the room. And if, the, if everybody's hiding their videos, then it is hard to read the room and you don't know. Uh, but I, I guess, my students were great. Those who were online, they had a video open and that was really amazing experience. Yeah, I can so relate to that. Um, with certain places like well, the teaching at the Oxford Center for Hindu Studies, it's, um, it's asynchronic. And so uh, some years I implement my own sort of um, live Zoom sessions just because I enjoy I feel it's important to have some synchronic time if possible, but in other spaces like um, the school of Indian wisdom, it's, uh, it's, it's hybrid, but there's always a synchronic component. Um, and uh, the, the culture that, that is facilitated is one of having cameras on insofar as, especially for a smaller group or more intimate experience. It's not that you're tuning in. This isn't a YouTube channel. This isn't yeah. a radio station you're attending. And if you're attending, yeah, yeah then have the courtesy of showing your face because we are in relationship. Yeah. Mind you, yeah. of course, of course, people have, of course, yeah. of course, we are, we are yeah. very understanding that people have homes that are not conducive to that, setups that are not conducive to that. Of course, better to tune in and, and, and get something out of it. But, but mm -hmm. if possible, show up. Yeah show up and, 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 yeah. and it's crucial, especially when much as yourself, a teacher is, able to take the temperature take the pulse of the room because mm -hmm. just a couple glances on their faces and you know exactly if you need to uh take a different tact or uh, expand on this a bit more or uh, you whether you know the joke landed or what it was yeah. can... i mean if I'm, i i share the feeling if i can add one thing as i mean i i studied in india for 25 years up to my mphil and it was an atlas complex in India. Teachers are responsible. He or she would come or they would come and stand on a platform, lecture us. We have to make notes. And the one quite an amazing thing in the Western academic environment or culture is classrooms is always learner-centered. You are just a facilitator, right? So if the classroom is learner-centered, then we all are responsible, equally responsible. Not just because I'm a teacher, I'm more responsible. We all are equally responsible for the success of that, that learning to happen. And in that situation, it needs everyone to come, right, and present. 
That said, I understand maybe sometimes you have a hard time, but I also understand that you don't wanna kind of violate, we, I don't wanna violate anyone's privacy, but then we can create, like sometime I would say, okay, whoever is wearing brown can open the video today, or whoever is wearing red can open the video. So I might choose a color code sometime, like, okay, whoever has not eaten lunch can, can, can relax today, you know, so, so some kind of, but we have to come up with that agreement because online teaching, one thing, I mean, I research shows that there's no difference in online versus face-to-face -face teaching, research shows. But then research might not show that how the online teaching was done, was the video open? Because as a teacher, definitely it, it makes a great difference for me that uh, when the videos are on and videos are off, um, I kind of, I struggle. Like I, I'm not reading my audience. I'm not seeing that mad face at me so that I can rephrase myself, right? Or I'm not being praised. Oh my God, Rajiv, you're awesome. And I can see the smile. Then I'm okay, I'm doing great. And I, or like angry face. Oh my God, I should change the topic. <laughs> this is not going great. So that kind of a kind of visual feedback that the what you call it the kinesis of it the that's that's absent and and, and that keeps many teachers going I'm, I'm sure i'm not the only one yeah fascinating great um, well i'm glad we can talk about um your your career and your work and your teaching and the, the opportunity to study with your studies um is there anything else um, that you hope to even touch on today? Um, well, I think you have touched on everything that I could think of. I just uh, want to thank you. Thanks to you. Thanks to the organization. Thanks for the opportunity. And anybody who is out there who wants to learn Hindi or they have my email ID or anything, and if they have any question, feel free to reach out. If any possible way I can contribute to their learning experience, I would be happy to, to help. Excellent. Thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks, Raj. For those listening, uh, we have been speaking with Dr. Rajiv Ranjan on his um, uh, Hindi and Urdu language acquisition resources. Um, uh, feel free. Feel free to reach out to him and or study with him at the Geek Studies and continue your, your development or an acquisition of of these important Indic languages. Until next time, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, and uh, keep engaging uh, foreign languages. Take care.